never uh, received a book before. Uh, Chuck, are we short on some books for our... Yeah, why don't you let our visitors have, and they can share a book, and we'll be sure and get one for them. Uh, I'm not sure if I have an extra one that I'm not using, but if I do, I think I gave that one up a long time ago. <laughs> we had to order some more. So, But we do have extra copies for, for those people who don't have one of their own. It's an excellent book because it's a timely prophecy for the earth today and allowing people to know and to understand what God is doing now. Uh, I think church sometimes is so um, stuck in tradition, not because people don't want more. I think they just don't know how to get it. And uh, amen. Sometimes, so often, the people who can bring us the more that we're looking for are not very well received. But I'm bumped. Thank you, Mr. Gary. I appreciate it. Any any little vote of encouragement is greatly appreciated. But you know what I mean. Prophets aren't well received. The, the real ones aren't. You know what I'm saying. The ones that always tell you doing good and you're gonna be blessed and more money coming and all that kind of stuff. They, I guess, they're well received. But the ones that really have a word from God that'll help you to get in the flow of things. <laughs> see if i tell nola something like you know what um you know god's gonna bless you he's got big money for you and and you know things are gonna work out well for you and she can be happy run back to her seat but if i tell her nola god's telling me that if you will do this I don't think you'll find too many places in the Bible where people sat and stuff fell on them. Stretch forth your hand. Rise and be healed. Pick up your bed. If you could be blessed and doing nothing, you'd be blessed already. You understand? We'd all be rich. So there's an employee that goes with a real word from God. There are conditions on God's blessings. Always. Always. Amen. Always. And so when you get a word of accuracy that tells us and outlines to us what God is getting ready to do and what he's pouring out and that that imminent thing is on us right now. See, it's one thing for us to be told to get ready for 10 years or that it's coming in time transfer. Well, when's the end time? I don't know. I thought we were in it. Well, I don't know either. Don't you know God's got more sense than that? If you got bills due today, he'd tell you where your money is today. I mean, if he's going to help you. Now, if you just want to sit and expect for a minute and get happy and then go back to your... God doesn't do that. He don't operate like that. He'll give you a sure word. He'll give you a timely word. And it's a word that if you don't dive in the middle of it, you'll feel convicted for not getting involved in it. That's the way God does things. Amen. With with faith comes a passing of judgment on unbelief. So the people who are in it are going to partake and feel good about it. And the people on the outside are going to feel convicted.
You know, in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, it says, by faith, Noah passed judgment and condemned the whole world. Everybody dropped dead and drowned to death because of his faith. He didn't say nothing mean to nobody. He didn't provoke nobody. He didn't talk bad about nobody. He didn't make nobody feel bad because they wasn't saved and he was. He just kept telling people, I'm going to build this boat. What you doing? No, I'm building a boat. Oh, no. What are you building a boat for? What do you know? I'm just building my boat. You understand what I'm saying? Every time he put a nail in a piece of wood, somebody felt convicted. He passed judgment on their unbelief. Faith always passes judgment on unbelief. It always has and it always will. It condemns unbelief because faith is of God and it's more powerful than the devil's unbelief. So when you're a person living by faith and you believe these prophecies that God gives us, do you think people sitting next to you that don't believe it feel comfortable? So you got to look out for stuff like this. Let's be sober minded. Amen. Be sober minded. There are people that I've, I've encouraged. I said, you know, God is, is doing the, oh, yeah, I believe I receive. Shut up. You know what I'm saying? Just shut up and go sit down and listen for a change, you know, because when God gives you a prophecy, it's beyond our religious rhetoric. Our canned answers that we give each other all the time to make to try to blow my mind, make you think you got more faith than I got. I don't care how much you have. Huh? Get as much as you can get because you're going to need it. And so God wants to tell us how to use our faith, amen, to what to expect, how to expect it, when to expect, what is God doing, look out for this because this is real, this is, see, this kingdom living is beyond getting somebody's latest set of tapes and memorizing them so that you can hope you get as powerful or as knowledgeable as they are you can get close to them and touch the hem of their nonsense huh? it'll take you beyond the personality and beyond the hype behind the curtain to see what god is really like for yourself what do you know about god yourself what's he done for you and in your experience, is God living up to what he says he's going to do in this season, where he's going to change timing so that before you get to sow a seed, you have already reaped on it. Huh? Before you get to sow it. Remember the old teaching on tithing when they had to twist your arm to give 10%? And if you really love God, you gave it anyway. If you really trusted God, you gave it. If you trusted the preacher, you gave it. You understand what I'm saying? But people twisted your arm anyway to get it. And so back in those days, they tell you, you say, well, I gave my tithe like you said. Where's my? See, that's the, that's the problem with people and trusting people. I can't tell you when your harvest is coming. Huh? Unless God tells me specifically. Faith doesn't question when. Faith has a knowing that it's coming and that it satisfies you. 
So you're not you're not putting God on trial every time you give. He says, prove me, but prove me one time. You understand what I'm saying? How many times you're going to prove somebody? As bad as a married couple. Baby, do you love me? Do you? I don't blame these men. They say, I married you, didn't I? Come on now. After a while, you got to get the proof is there. I mean, you got a ring. What else you want? Huh? <laughs> I'm messing with y'all a little bit. I feeling a little rough when I came in. I'm trying to find myself. <laughs> Anywho, (laughs) Anywho. but you know, you don't keep proving God over and over again. You know, once he reveals himself to you, then you go on and trust after that. You go, you build the relationship beyond the initial pat and frisk. (laughs) Which, trust me, you go back to that sometimes, girls. You know what I'm saying. You have to. Stop and frisk the old man, see what he's packing. Huh? Did you bring enough home for the wife? Good. Give it all to me. But once you have proven God, once he's come into your life and shown you, don't go back to prove over and over again. Amen? And then you have to trust. But you know the old timers would always stress, see time and harvest remember like time has got to be a long stretch well in this scripture in amos 9 13 it says time means nothing time's accelerated time is taking totally out of the equation you live on earth like they do in heaven everything's immediate everything comes at the time that you desire it at the time that you need it before you even ask for it it gets there to you See, most people can't relate to this because we're stuck in a mindset of everything. God is slow. If I want something fast, I got to go get it myself. I'll go upstairs and talk to them. What's these people, Lutherans, Presbyterians? Or? Oh, Methodists. Yeah, I'll go up there. Huh? That's how we roll. Most of us get too near. If you want a dress or something to wear, you never stop to pray and say, God, would you please provide for. We just run on off and get it and jack credit card all up. And it's, you know, God trying to unjack all your finances and you keep jacking them. Uh-huh. So that's why a blessing like this, you know, it'll go past the heads of most. Trust me, if you're trusting this scripture and you're believing that we are in this season right now and you're expecting, anticipating and you're receiving and you're making note of it and you're understanding that God is fulfilling his word, you are a rare person in this earth. You understand me? Because most prophecies go right by people. Even the ones that tell them you're going to get a new car or a new house. And them are the ones people want all the time. Or a man, a husband, you know what I'm saying, or or a wife or whatever you want. They go right over the heads of the receiver. Why? Because we're so stuck in the mentality of God takes forever. And if I want something, I can't waste my time waiting on God or believing God or even investing much hope in what God is doing. It's true. 
A lot of believers want to, they want to get in prosperity churches. Why? Because they think that's where it's really happening now. You know, where they can tell me how to be wealthy, how to have a good job. Have a, that's why you'll find a lot of pyramid schemes now in spirit-filled churches because the atmosphere is so taken over with greed and lust and mammon and all that kind of stuff that it's really, really hard for them to get in there and flow in any message other than that. The atmosphere supports the message. And so they create the kind of atmosphere they want. They want a, a, a Mary Kay atmosphere, or they want a pyramid atmosphere. They want an investment club atmosphere. They'll go and have praise and worship, and the speaker will get up and talk about investments. And I say that to say this. If you want to hear from God, you have to create a, a pure atmosphere where the word of God is preached freely, can be received freely, and people can understand it freely so that they can freely receive from God who has freely given to us all things to enjoy. He has. He's already given them to us. So our, our purpose is not to struggle and not to strive and not to, to try and, and make it so hard for us. But to get within our hearts an understanding of who God is, how much he loves us, and that he's proven that already. My goodness, he sent his only begotten son to die for us. He did nothing wrong to anybody anytime, lowered himself to the level of humanity and came down here and took upon himself the sin of the whole world. So we could go free. Free to do what? Free to enjoy life. But not just a material life. There's a spiritual life to enjoy in God. You know, if we didn't have spiritual life, we'd be the, the most miserable people. If we're just here to enjoy the material things of this earth, we're most miserable. Because if you compare this earth to what heaven says it looks like in the Bible, this is a miserable place in comparison. The best earth has to offer, you know, is, is sad compared to heaven. So this isn't our home anyway. God's not getting us comfortable here. But he is giving us authority. He's given us power. He's given us ability to overcome every obstacle that comes against us and him. It's us and him, folks. You're in a partnership with God down here in the earth. We're here representing his kingdom. We're here to make sure that his kingdom increases and advances every day. As much as possible. What do we mean increase and advance in every way? In every way. The manifestation of it. Increased healings. Increased deliverance. Increased salvation. Increased people who are coming out of poverty. Into a, a place of prosperity and comfort in their natural selves. Increased security in neighborhoods for people who can't afford to move out. Who can't believe for a better job. They're, they're ghetto bound and will be for generations, some of them. They're not going anywhere. But their life can be good. It can be prosperous. It can be a God-inspired life. And that's what the church is to bring to people. Not just hope for things, but manifestation of things. These things really happen and will really come to pass for anybody who believes. And that's what God wants. He wants people who trust him in the earth, people who listen to his word, people want to serve him, people understand his love. 
and understand his goodness. That's what he wants to cultivate down here. And not that just we just give him part-time, you know, a, a courtesy visit, but that we dwell with him and he dwell with us. That you know God. Not just God who, Daddy, you can come to when you need something. But a continual, constant companion, a friend. Somebody who puts you here for a purpose. Somebody you can always go to for your answers. Somebody makes provision for you in all things. Never leave you, never leave you high and dry, not forsake you. You know, your bestie. Got me? Your real bestie. And so that's what you want God to be to you, and he wants to be that to all of us. Amen? He will be that. So what does this have to do with Amos 9.13? It has everything to do with it, because God looks down and sees the cries of humanity. He sees how bad things are. In fact, he's known how bad they are before it's revealed to us. So there's no reason for anybody to panic, to fear. You know, to get upset. Yeah, it's, it's, it's in our face now, like it's never been before. Evil is being revealed like it's never been revealed before. The evil intentions of men are being revealed. But God has ordained a people. Everybody put their hand up. Say, that's me. Amen. That's you. He has ordained a people who will carry forth his glory into the earth. Amen. And this is a time where he's made up his mind to accelerate it because the Bible says where sin abounds, that is terrorists cutting heads off Christians, shooters going to school asking you if you're a Christian and shooting you in the head if you say yes. And the media has the people's minds so paralyzed that people don't even want to fight back to preserve. They don't even feel their own lives are worth preserving. So we have a zombie generation of people just walking through the, the earth as zombies, plugged into earphones, listening to who knows what, and believing they can't raise a hand against anything. If they say anything against anybody, it'll get, be, get persecuted for that. You don't even have freedom of speech anymore. used to be if you said mean things, they let you say them. It was your right to say that. You don't have no power to put impose it on nobody, but just say what you want to say. If you want to say good things, you can say it. If you want to preach, you can do that. You know, you can start any kind of church you want to start in this country. I don't care if it's a sun moon church or a blue moon church or whodunit church. You can do that. And God doesn't mind. Why? Because he knows how to reveal the truth to anybody. He, he, he's not in competition to dominate the minds he knows how to convert people's hearts he knows how to win people over so he's never been threatened by people's liberty amen but the devil is threatened by it amen so when he comes and says you can't say certain things because it's not politically correct and accusing you and pointing the finger and you know people sitting up with a what they call tv shows now they're nothing but propaganda factories huh if you look at what 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 something like the view that format of that show it's, it reads just like russian propaganda during the 50s amen when the communists came in and told the people what to think and what to believe amen 
And so God has a way of revealing those evils to us so that they can be done away with. So why does he decide to accelerate things now? He does it after the counsel of his own will. And he does it believing that he still has a people here who will take advantage of this accelerated season and understand that it's an accelerated season of blessing in every area of our lives for the purpose of advancing his kingdom. Not for squandering it on our lusts and wasting it in a bunch of frivolous nonsense. Huh? You know, you're going to get convicted when you go to, to buy your drink at a place that promotes gay marriage. You're going to take your money and go someplace else. Huh? Now, God's putting up with this little compromise we go through. You know what I'm saying. Y'all know who I'm talking about. Because there's a bunch of list of them. The list is a mile long of companies that support L-B-G-Q-T-S-V-W-X-Y-Z. You add as many letters to it as you want to. And the list is long. Major corporations in this country. Why? Because they're intimidated. They let less than 3% of the population dictate their policy. See, there's a demon behind that stuff. So there's an evil, there's a wicked evil force behind that that drives it to the point that and and the thing is, the the bad thing is there's a lack of godly foundation in people see the enemy's smart first thing he does is take away god from the public sector so people can't god's not as accessible to people as it used to be every kid used to know the ten commandments why it was posted in every school now i went to a catholic school early but when i got to the public school they knew it too so everybody knew what thou shalt not do. Now people are told you can do anything you want to do. So that's their foundation. They have no foundation in truth. So it's easy to come along and intimidate people to make them say what you want them to say because they have nothing to fall back on and say, no, wait a minute. I, there's something in me that tells me this ain't right. That's not in many people these days, folks. We're the new generation. You talk to some of your coworkers and find out what they believe. They don't know anything about Jesus, God, the Bible, nothing. Well, I figured I'd come to church when I had my kids. I just don't have time. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if where sin abounds, grace has to much more abound. That's why the accelerated season of blessing. It must abound much more so what we're in now this amos 9 13 season accelerated season of blessing is an abounding grace to do what kingdom stuff kingdom stuff you're going to be anointed to a much higher level you're going to it's going to be easy be shooting like shooting fish in a barrel where it used to be hard to find people that wanted to come to prayer want to come to church it's going to be real easy from now on why we know we haven't had enough power to do the things we want to do you know it's just like the police forces they're always the the last ones to get the most powerful weapons 
Always trying to keep up with what the street thugs are doing already. Why? Huh? Well, God says no more. I'm pouring out to my people in such a way the power is going to be there for anybody who wants to tap into it. The power will be there for them. It will be there for them. Am I going to make my people healthy? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Real quick. Huh? Real quick. We're not going to have to languish with, you know, winting for two years. And, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the, well, the old's going out and the new is coming in. And I say this to you to get your mind in it. You got me? You've got to get your mind into this stuff and expect it to happen. It's not for certain people. This is for everybody. You're a body. We are a body, folks. And if you're born again, you're part of this body of believers. It's for every part of the body. So don't think you can skip over this. Well, I'm a, you know, Pastor Barb been doing this for a long time. I'll be glad when she's done with this book so we can read something else. Huh? This ain't school. This ain't like your your crazy school that don't let God in. This is God's school. And you hold on to everything that God gives you. You hold on to every word because you're going to need it all. And when you get to that point of need, you're going to wish you had some more. Huh? Because he keeps us coming back for more all the time. He never reveals everything to us at one time it's called relationship so my my late husband used to tell me he said you think i will give you all my money i said well i miss i must have to come back again sir <laughs> if i didn't get it all i'm coming for it huh and he knew i was don't let no devil discourage you <laughs> no tight wide devils show me something huh when we we had our 25th renewal ceremony and jeff staples did the service remember he and alan some more people did our service and i told jeff i said i said jeff look at my ring i said i married him from for his money he said again <laughs> smart man jeff he had to get up early in the morning to get one over on him anywho anywho so all right so amos nine thirteen. That was just your intro. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. On page 69, it says the difference a day makes. Amen. So we have to think of things in terms of turning around in a 24-hour period. Get yourself out of the mindset of seed time, dragged out time, and harvest. Get yourself in the mindset of the plowman overtaking the reaper. Before you get the seed sown, it's prospered in your life. Amen. Before you get the seed sown, it's prospered in your life. It says it doesn't take many words to announce the oncoming of a new season. It is the right word from the start. Elisha postured himself somewhere between despair and anguish. And with the use of one primary word, became an ambassador of deliverance, declaring prosperity was only a day away. He intentionally selected the word tomorrow to ignite hope in the hearts of those who had heard him. Imagine the emotional flood that washed over the hungry and heartbroken people of Samaria when God's prophet uttered his message. 
Listen, God's word, the famine's over. This time tomorrow, food will be plentiful, a handful of meal for a shekel, two handfuls of grain for a shekel. The market at the city gate will be buzzing. Second Kings 7, 1, the Message Bible. With one word, a kingdom was transformed from their dilemma to their deliverance. And I want you to remember this when we start uh, ministering and praying for the persecuted church, which I told you my my dilemma last month uh, was asking God. I said, God, I keep apologizing for reading so so much to people, and the Lord showed me. He said, He said, You think you're praying persecuted church somewhere else, but that's you. He said, you need to start telling people these these testimonies so they can rehearse them in their ears. So in their need, their day of need, it'll preserve their lives. You understand me? So we're nothing. Nothing that's taught by God is ever wasted. He says, with one word, a kingdom was transformed from their dilemma into their deliverance. Within 24 hours, they had a new currency, a new diet. But more than anything else, they had new hope. And that's what the outpouring of God's spirit always brings. There's so much prosperity in the atmosphere when God pours out a new word, pours out a prophecy, a word of hope and encouragement. It does more for your inner than it will ever do for your outer. You got me? Anything that your inner man partakes of will never compare with what the outer man enjoys. So don't throw everything away for a feel good or a promise or, you know, something that looks good on the external. Always seek God for the inner workings of his word and his spirit in search in situations. You know, if you start off situations on the word with the word and they're fed by the word, they will always feed you and be rich. If you start out outside of the word. You'll have to get yourself corrected and start to build again a new foundation. And so it's better to start out on the word and stay on the word. It says within 24 hours they had a new currency, a new diet, but more than anything else they had new hope. Only God could have orchestrated the series of events that led to their dramatic resurrection from the throes of death itself. The day began with no noticeable difference than the day before. Citizens of Samaria were as hungry at sunrise as they'd been sundown the day earlier. No food would be provided any longer for those considered to be in the worse condition than those within the walled city of Samaria. Among the hopeless were four lepers engaged in a most insightful conversation. Hold on. I think I'm on the wrong page. I am. I'm sorry. We're on chapter 7, Day of Divine Intervention. Yeah, okay. Sorry about that. He says, in a word, the Amos 9.13 season is about intervention. Make that divine intervention. So this is something that's totally orchestrated by God for the benefit of humanity. Who but God could so dramatically affect nature that an entire season adjusts to his purpose and design? After all, he made the seas to part and stand at attention as a nation marched through there to through to their deliverance god placed time on pause without disrupting the earth's orbit so much so that joshua had to acknowledge the sun stood still long enough for him to fight and win a battle against his enemies 
He adjusted time for an ailing king by putting the day in reverse. Only the position of the sundial could adequately testify to the phenomenal interruption of the norm while Hezekiah made plans for the additional 15 years granted to him by God. Our Lord is the infinite God who cannot be held captive by the clock or calendar. Time, with all its suppressing limits, is ultimately at the mercy of the only and eternal God who will never be threatened or bullied by the impossibilities of your life circumstances. So time will not stop God from intervening in your situation or lack of time will not stop. Does he have to leave now? I thought it was 2.30. I'm sorry, my time is off. Okay, well, we can, I can pray for him. Howard, why don't you come on up and, yeah. You can put your things down. I'm sorry, I probably should have paused after I got finished with the intro and just prayed for him. I thought you were leaving at 2.30. He has to be there at 2.30. Okay, I just heard the wrong. Give me some oil, Chuck. There it is, right there. You got it, Chuck. Thank you, Jesus. No, you're not going to sit. You're going to stand. Praise God. Where is it? Which one? All right. Be healed in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to walk on it, Lee, okay? Because you were healed not too long ago. The devil can't put this on you a second time. Amen? So why don't you just walk it on back in and just worship God and thank him for it. Lift your hands. Don't think about your need. Think about your healing. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, that he's healed. It's already paid for. Devil, you're a thief and a liar. You let it go. Let his healing go. And you can't hold it from him any longer. You can't hide it from him any longer. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for healing virtue. Thank you, Lord, that by your stripes, Lee is healed. He is healed. He is healed. He is healed. He is healed. The pain, I command you to go in the name of Jesus. You can't stay either in Jesus' name. You loose him and let him go in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for doing a new thing in his body. No matter how long he's been not feeling well, he's healed. Thank you, Lord, for this new page for him. This affliction will not come on him a second time. Devil, you're a liar and a deceiver. You're a deceiver. And we cast you down in Jesus' name. You can't speak to him any longer in the name of Jesus. Just start to lift your foot up a little higher this time as you walk. Yeah, just keep walking. and There you go. Do something you couldn't do before each time you turn. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Don't think about your knee. Think about your healed. There you go. So you're healed as you went. What do you do when you went? You go back to your normal level of activity. Yeah. As you do that, you are healed. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. Quit thinking. Keep walking. There you go. Praise God. (laughs)
think you're checking Jesus out? He's checking you out. Said, do you believe? You believe you're healed? Act like it. Amen. You good now? All right. Be blessed. See you later. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. So on page 62, it says, As a servant Elisha was experiencing the eye-opening revelation, the Syrian army was stricken with blindness. What God does, one, one set of eyes will open, another one will be dimmed. Amen. Your faith is eye-opening. Your faith is light. And if anybody can't receive that and get in faith, then their understanding is darkened. That's why you'll find two people respond differently to the same news. Huh? You're healed. One person say, I couldn't be. See there and one person says, Oh, okay, thank you. Strut on off with their healing. You got me? So when your faith is engaged, you're in the light. Amen. And so that same light that brings light to you, if it's not received, that person remains in darkness. Well, they can't receive it. It says the Syrian army was stricken with blindness, groping in darkness. They were led by Elisha to Samaria and given over to the king. Rather than inflicting revenge upon their enemies, Elisha instructed the king that they would be given food and released to return to Syria where they would be reunited with family. One of the greatest biblical examples of grace is seen in these actions of benevolence toward the enemies of Samaria. I tend to think that following such a display of kindness, the Syrian king would never have threatened Samaria again. But a seemingly insignificant phrase links all of the preceding stories of 2 Kings 6 to the last one. It's the phrase, after this. And after this. And it came to pass after this that King Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered all his hosts and went up and besieged Samaria. Think about that for a moment. Great kindness has been shown, but after this. Sometimes people have a short memory for God's blessings. You you understand what I'm saying? Have a short memory for it. A large regiment of soldiers healed of sudden blindness and set free to return home, but after this. One would think after such a display of mercy, the Syrians would have been content to at least have peaceful coexistence with the people of Samaria. But that notion is destroyed with the introduction of all that comes with the phrase after this. How many after this occasions have you had when on the heels of great victories you encountered the vicious attack of satanic forces? I must state here that the Amos 9.13 season is not without its detractors, enemies, and hindrances. Years ago, I heard one of my long-distance preaching mentors, Adrian Rogers, say, When God starts blessing, Satan starts blasting. Count on it. But count on this as well. When the enemy comes in like a flood, amen, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. You know, the devil can take you by surprise, make you think everything is taken out from under you. The wind has come out from under your sails and knocked you flat. But God will say, whoa, wait a minute, and lift up a standard to stop the onslaught of the enemy against you. Amen. Surrounded by the son of the thunderer. 
Ben Hadid was a wicked uh, bully. He was a conniving tyrant, a sadistic monarch. His name means the son of the thunderer. That just sounds mean. Even after all the mercy extended to his army, he commanded them to go and besiege the city of Samaria. It's important to understand there was a vital difference between attacking and besieging a city. When a city was attacked, they would you had a fighting chance. Got me? They would storm the gates, and if there were fighting people there to repel it, they had an opportunity to repel it. When you besiege something, you just surround it and dare people to come out day and night. Just sit there as a threat. And if the people buy the threat, they stay contained in that city. And after the Syrian army saw that they had contained Samaria for a length of time, they just stayed out there. They packed their lunch and go and sit and sit out the city gates while the people inside starved. And the people inside did without. The people inside went hopeless. Drop down to the last paragraph. It says, this is yet another age-old strategy of Satan against the church. He besieges the church. He takes great delight in besieging the church, containing it, ultimately separating it from its harvest. So what they did, they planted crops on the outside of the city in the fields. But when they were contained and besieged inside of the city, they couldn't get out to the fields to work them and get their harvest. And he says there's a parallel with the church where the church gets contained and besieged with worldliness, complacency, same old songs. You know what I'm saying? Or you get a few new songs in and you think you've got God. (laughs) Deception. He says, any famine the church experiences will never be due to a lack of rain or a failed harvest. Why? God always provides rain. He always does. He gave them a plan. The reason we read Second Chronicles uh, 7.14 is that prior to that, he says, if a famine comes, if starvation comes, if the sword comes against you, if any of these things happen, if my people who are called by my name. See, if it was preceded by a, a scenario of lack of harvest and lack of prosperity. And God said, if this should ever happen to you, I'm giving you the plan for how to get out of it. So he never left his people without an escape plan. He never left them without an opportunity for mercy. He never left them with an op- without an opportunity for growth and for, for prosperity and for success. Prosperity teaching is old, folks. You can read it anywhere in the Bible. We didn't have to interrupt the move of God to start talking about money all of a sudden. It's always been in the Bible how to prosper. It's always been in there. Now, if you're crazy enough, you don't have enough relationship with God to keep the devil from hiding it from you. Then that's one thing. But there have been millionaire Christians forever. They've been prosperous Christians forever. They've been well-to-do Christians forever. People who founded this country came over, left everything they had, came over here and found that if they obeyed God, they prospered and they flourished. Some of our older institutions, the Harvards and the Yales, and those are the places were started by Christians. The old families, the Mather families up in New England and all of those, all them people are Christians. Rockefeller's a Christian. Henry Ford's a Christian. All of those people, it was known that God was a source of blessings. 
And if you wanted to be blessed, you came here so that you could be free to worship and serve God and he would bless and prosper you. That's always been true. Always been true. All right. So it says, how many after this occasions? Where did I stop? Servant Elijah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I'll go on page 63. So I must stay here that the Amos 9.13 season is not without its detractors, enemies, and hindrances. Surrounded by the son of the thunderer. So Ben-Hadad besieged this city. It says, this is yet another age-old strategy of Satan against the church. He takes great delight in besieging the church, containing it, ultimately separating it from its harvest. Any famine the church experiences will never be due to a lack of rain or failed harvest. It's been raining since the day of Pentecost when the prophecy of Joel 2.28 was fulfilled. God said in this passage, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. What that really means is that you don't have to wait for the prophet or the priest to get a word from God. You can read your own Bible for yourself and begin to declare your life by the words of your mouth. Now, we've been taught this forever. Why don't we do it? Huh? It's containment. People feel restricted. They feel it's a spirit of containment. It's like, I I know I should say this, and I know, do I have permission to say that? Can I say that? you got to go ask and get 15 different confirmations to declare over your own life what you want. And you know God loves you, and you found it in the Bible, but something restrains you from doing it. Something contains you from doing it. And it's a spirit. It's upon the church. follows you everywhere you go. Restricting you, making you feel unsure about, well, God, does God really want me to have this? Maybe I, maybe, maybe it's not my, and then you get a word about it's a season for, but maybe it's not my season yet. Hmm? You got to check with somebody, find out what season it is. You know, same church that does prophecy conferences does funerals too. Make sure it ain't yours to die. Huh? Because life and death are in the power of your tongue. Huh? You're the prophet of your own life. Huh? His sons and daughters will prophesy. That doesn't mean you have an office. That didn't call you apostle probably. Sons and daughters. That's me and it's you and this everybody. Huh? What does prophesy mean? Speak the word of God by unction and in faith. It don't mean you had got to go on Facebook and say, I don't know who this is for. Just don't you be the idiot looking for that word. (laughs) Acting like you all. Never seen in the Bible any prophet get a word. I don't know who this is for. The messenger was always sent to an audience with the message. You got me? If you don't have an audience, just shut your mouth. Well, I got a church. No, you got some likes. In fact, you got you still got six. You ain't got more than you ain't come out of single digits yet. 
you know, just come on now, folks. Let's get real here. It's time to quit this nonsense. (laughs) I'm getting old. (laughs) I don't have time to go another 10 years around the mulberry bush with this foolishness. So the church has been besieged with compromise, surrounded by selfish attitudes, contained by lukewarmness. And as a result, the church has taken on containment mentality and a survivalist posture fed by desperation. In the throes of the economic meltdown of 2008, former mayor of Jacksonville, Florida, John Payton, made the following statement. Quote, we cannot let the existing climate create a survivalist thinking or paralysis. The desperation fostered by a survivalist posture that came to Samaria led its citizens' appetite to three horrific food staples. The accounts given in 2 Kings 6 convey a story of times so terrible and people so hungry that they were consuming the heads of donkeys, dove dung, and most tragically of all, their own children. The nutritional value of a donkey's head is as limited as the meat it supplies. However, their consumption of such a thing says more of the stubborn and relentless circumstances that force the people to such tasteless and possibly even biblically forbidden action. Much like the resistant and stubborn nature of a donkey, the famine that had come to Samaria had set in for a while. Those who couldn't afford to purchase a donkey's head for 80 shekels of silver, that's $2,080 in 2014 value, were left to eat the dung of a dove. Can you imagine selling bird poop and it being precious? Huh? That's how bad things were. And that's how wicked the Syrian army was against them. They didn't care what they did on the inside of that wall as long as they don't come out. You hear what I'm saying? The devil doesn't care how much he pressures Christians as long as you don't come out with the word and preach the gospel and win souls. As long as you stay in the politically correct, as long as you ordain homosexuals, as long as you don't want to speak up and say it's wrong to have sex outside of marriage or anything like that, as long as you compromise and go along, as long as he keeps you contained. So that you don't preach a pure word to people so that they can get free. And see, churches with that uh, seeker-friendly thing, they're just looking for more people to come inside to be contained with them. They're not preaching liberty or freedom to anybody. Just come on in here in any condition you are and stay with us. We don't care if you fornicate. We don't care if you sleep around. We don't care what you do. You know, we'll, we'll, uh, you know, we'll uh, what do you call it? baptize your baby or dedicate your baby you're not even married do you understand what i'm saying you can't even raise them as christians but we'll do that anyway we'll just pretend let's come on in with us and let's grow the numbers and get more contained but we got big numbers you look at this milk toast stuff they preach these ten thousand seat churches preach you can't even get to heaven on that stuff these feel-good messages Anybody starts off every sermon with a joke. And I'm not talking about stale ones like I do to wake y'all up. That's different. (laughs) 
But I'm talking about the ones you get out the preacher joke books. At least I'm original. But I'm pumped. Where's my where's my drummer? Anywho, I'm not going there anymore. But the church is contained. The more contained we are, the more the less power we display. So that anything that looks like power, people are either scared of it, they think it's everything and run off and won't try to follow it. And most of them will give anything for it. You see some of these minister conventions, you know, containment, (laughs) containment churches. They keep people entertained with great swelling words where people can get excited and jump up and down. They're never taught how to win souls. They're never taught to pray. Which is the first thing that you should be taught as a Christian. And you should pray regularly with your congregation. Pray for things to change. You don't get up there and beat them up and tell them they should pray. And if you prayed, you'd be rich like me. Everybody looking at one person that seems to have made it. But they're all contained. Because they give a little bit of hope that maybe one day you can have what I have. Listen, I give you the best I got all the time. I'm praying that you get anointed, that you can get out there and do some things for God. I'm not hoping any day you can one day. You don't want to be like me. You want to be like you, but anointed with the power of God in doing what believers are supposed to do. Let's not put that off any longer. That's for the here and the now. A church or a people enduring a spiritual famine can only dine on where it has been in the past because it has no relevant present or compelling future. So you see churches that are talking about, you know, uh, what they usually preach from is the pastor's latest book. You know, they just get there and go through what they went through in their last book and make sure everybody gets a copy. It may be signed. It may not be signed. But they're dining on what this person did in the past and how they're going to try and make it relevant in the future. When what they really need is a word from God, a fresh word from heaven. No warmed over, milk toast, how God made you successful and how you, you know, you lie on the condition of your family. Everybody in your family's gifted, anointed and probably make more mistakes than anybody else's kids in the church but you fix it up so that yours look different see it's containment and as you contain people under this old stale stuff the standards of god get put to compromise see no longer do we have a standard where young women are not invited to just bring their illegitimate kids in the church remember the old pentecostal churches you had to come to the elders and you had to talk to them you had to repent before you got back into fellowship with the community huh it was a serious thing you didn't just slide them on in there like god honors it god's house was respected and if you violated the law of god you acknowledged it 
You ask repentance for the church. We have a standard in this church, and it's called holy living, and I've broken that standard. And I'm asking the congregation to forgive me so that I can be properly brought back into fellowship with the house of God's people. You understand what I'm saying? You do yourself and your kid a favor when you do that. People are afraid to do it because they're afraid that, you know, some somebody going to not want to come back no more. It's a good thing to not have your place overrun with sinners. Huh? People do enough sinning without the pulpit condoning it. So we're containment factories, folks. We're containment factories. You look at the standard they had in the early church and how people lived. You know, you lie on your offering and you drop dead. And that's just over money. Think about what you do over something that's really important to God. Those who will accept it, God is doing a new thing. And it is sustaining nutrition, is energizing and strengthening all who believe. So we need energy and we need strength, folks, because we're not going to make it if we continue at this containment mentality. We just don't want to lose anything. We want to try to hold on to what we have. We don't want to, you know, put anybody into any kind of stress, you know, that kind of stuff. He says Samaria was more than hungry. They were famished to the point of desperation, the danger of desperation. The word desperation is defined as the loss of hope and surrender to despair. Desperate people do desperate things that have no foundation in anything that resembles logic. I don't know that desperation has played out any more graphically anywhere else in the Bible than in the latter portion of 2 Kings 6. As a desperate king walked and surveyed his traumatized city one day, He gave attention to the plea for help from a heartbroken mother. The story she told him would capture anybody. Let me take it directly from the the scripture. The king said to her, what's troubling you? She answered, this woman said to me, "Give give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him and I said to her the next day, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. There are tremendous spiritual implications throughout this unimaginable story. Caught somewhere between two des- between desperation and survivability, the church has too often eaten its seed in an immediate moment of crisis while unknowingly bankrupting itself of any to- of tomorrow's dreams and potential. Wherever spiritual famine exists, it must be broken or else our sons and daughters will pay the extreme price of being basted in the fires of our own carnal hunger and survivalist mentality. Moved by the woman's story, the king tore his garments and revealed he was wearing sackcloth underneath his robes. Typically, this would have been seen as a sign of repentance and humility. However, in this case, the king's act is only an outward display lacking inward sincerity. Outward display lacking inward sincerity. Much of the activity, much of the reading material produced from the church has to do with outward things. 
you see you see few books written on relationship to God, humility. That's why people are going back digging up all the old devotionals, you know, that people and the newer ones are so shallow. Somebody really needs to get to know God and start writing some stuff. You understand what I'm saying? It's, you know, some of this stuff where you begging God in desperation and getting a come on now, folks. Let's. You know, you read a whole paragraph and say they could have said that in three words. You understand this? Listen, I write books, too. And I know what you need to do to fill some pages. Right. Let's wake up, y'all. Come on now. It's time. Y'all are more grown than this. Huh? Well, maybe you don't even read them or try to find them. It's probably good, too, because you're not that interested. Because there's not that much of depth out there. Amen. So the king had an outward show, but an inward, inward, there was nothing there. And he said this, God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, remains on him today. One sure sign of needed intervention is when someone, especially in leadership, refuses to take responsibility for his condition. When an individual won't allow himself to see the seriousness of impeding, pending calamity, there is need for intervention. The king couldn't be, get past his seething hatred and animosity against Elisha. The sackcloth he was wearing had no effect on his need for true repentance that he should have embraced. The famine drags on as the sixth chapter comes to a close. The last picture given in this chapter is Elisha and the elders of the city sitting with him in his house when the city is in a chaotic fit. That little oh-by-the-way description of his reclining position shouldn't be overlooked. While others are frantic, Elisha and his elders are calm. Now this is, this is one, one thing that makes prophets hate it. Because they don't get frazzled, they don't care how long is we've been without whatever or what's going on. The fact that they cannot be moved from where God has positioned them. That remember when I started and I said your faith passes judgment on others' unbelief. That drives the devil crazy when he cannot move you. The best thing he has going for him is his ability to move us because of our circumstances. If you're the type of person who can say, God, whenever it comes, that's when I'm getting it. I'm not pressing you for it and I'm not pressed for it. And I'm not going crazy if I don't get it this week. And I'm not upset if this don't happen for me. And I'm not going to lose my mind if I don't get me a man by the end of 2015. Like prophet is so-and-so said I was going to get. You understand what I'm saying? If You understand what I'm saying? If y'all can stay calm in the midst of the devil pressing you to contain you in the state where you are and making you be think you think you'll be there forever nothing lasts forever except god's love you understand me that's the only thing that lasts forever I see the devil put pressure on you making you think well it's been going on like this for so long it's going it's never going to reverse this is never going to change for you It can be over in a day. It'll be over in a day. (laughs) Isn't that right, Miss Karen? 
Amen. Your weeping ended in a day, didn't it, sweetheart? Amen. Amen. That's right. (laughs) I'm serious. I mean, it it ends just that quickly for people where you thought it was never going to end. You thought the night was never going to be over. says, while others are pacing, Elijah is patiently waiting. Why? He's heard from God. That's what will separate you from the pacers is the word of God and holding on to it and believing it. Let other people pace around. Let other people get upset. Let other people go do things. Huh? <laughs> we've done this ministry almost 30 years now. And we've seen many people rise and come up in ministry and they want to send us letters. And God told me you're supposed to come and do this with us and come and do this. No, he didn't. Because he'd have to tell me. That's right. <laughs> huh? They try to get you to stop doing what you're doing. And come join them because they have something that everybody's doing this now. I've seen leaders in these things come down with mental illness, lose their families, all hell break loose against them, quit the ministry, all this kind of stuff. But we still are here. Fine. We're doing what God told us to do. We weren't trying to get somebody to tell us something exciting to do. We knew it. And it may not look exciting and it may not be exciting, but it's God. You understand? It's God. And that's what you want. You want it to be God. Now, I've heard people try to run me out of town and telling people don't come to my ministry. And, you know, she's a witch and she doesn't have a covering and all this stuff. And, and there was a person that was so bad at it, they had a whole group of, they had a school of ministry now and didn't want to see us have a prayer meeting. You know, how many people do you want? You got almost, you got everybody fooled. But us. You got everybody in the whole city fooled and hoodwinked and thinking the only way you can be a prophet is you got to come over here and be with me. Yeah. Got in some trouble with some people he tried to help at the altar. They took him to court. And the court forbade him to lay hands on people at a holy altar of God. And he had to get somebody else to do his altar work for him. You know, in other words, your hands will get cut off. You try to put hands on some of God's people that are doing his will, he'll cut your hands off. Dagon. (laughs) It says, in a moment of boldness, this has gone on long enough fervor. Elisha stands and declares, by this time tomorrow, the famine will be over. Amen. So the person who understands God and stays in that zone with God and can hear from God will understand and get that word. The prophet was waiting on a word from God. He's not going to give a word to somebody who's in a panic and all rushed and carrying on. huh? Believers aren't supposed to make haste, folks. Faith is not hasty. Amen. It's not in a hurry. Faith knows God is coming through. If you don't know God is coming through, get back in your Bible some more. 
Stay in there till you know he's coming through. But you can know he's coming through. He says, oh, for another prophetically aligned moment like that, where men and women of God are given the voice of authority and power that calms troubled hearts and eases perplexed minds. When Washington, Washington D.C. is confused and Wall Street is, Street is in convulsions and the dark clouds of despair loom close to the earth, maintain your posture of peace. Intervention is coming. The season is changing. The prophet Daniel said it best, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and seasons. If things aren't working out satisfactorily to you, all you've got to do is talk to God about it and ask him for a change. God, I need a change in my whole outlook. I need a change in my circumstances. I need a change in my finances. I need a change in whatever it is, God. I need a change in order for me to survive, thrive, and prosper and enjoy life. I need a change. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Not who lack understanding, but those in knowledge to those who have understanding. He's not going to give knowledge to somebody he's wasted on. Where do you get understanding from? From God. He builds on what he's already planted on the inside of you. The winds are shifting. The cold and winter-like temperatures of adversity are yielding to the soul-reviving breezes of favor and blessing. Be assured, God does change the seasons. He always has and he always will. Amen. He'll continue to change the seasons. And one day that whole city was turned over to a prosperity. It happened just as the prophet said. But woe to those that didn't believe and didn't understand and didn't want to believe. And so you want to be in the believing crowd of people. You want to be in the discerning crowd of people. Hey, baby, pass these out on this side, okay? You want to be in the crowd of people who are discerning, believing, understanding. Not those who are sitting back trying to keep prophets out. You notice the biggest churches we have in these, these, this country lacks two offices, the apostle and the prophet. They won't let them in there. Why? Because they know things will change. Seasons will change. Times will change. People will change. And this containment mentality that has captured this nation and the churches in this nation does not want change. They want the offerings to stay the same and and increase a little bit so they can put more seats in there to contain more people. They don't want believers to get loose on the streets going. They want to be the voice that that preaches all the time you understand what i'm saying so stay in the flow in the zone of what god is is equipping you as a believer as somebody who can do the works of god expect to be anointed expect god to bring people in your path who need him expect to be able to share people share christ with people you know we're not just trying to build buildings but we're building people You know, if all that person can want is a touch from God here and there, give it to them. Be their lifeline. You understand what I'm saying? If they're not ready to come to church yet, but keep a relationship with them. Amen. Keep inviting them because they need to be there so they can grow. But we need to know how to work with a soul so that they can be convinced that God is real and they want to serve him and follow him.
Sorry about that, crew. Don't forget the crew over on the side, okay? It's the side crew. Yeah. <laughs> they, want, they want their exams, too. Thank you.